0: Guys, I have to tell you, I am incredibly excited about this teaching series. I think that will probably come over to you this morning. And um, as I've been thinking about it and preparing for it, I've come up with a discovery myself that I believe that the Bible is a lot like a babushka. Now before you think I've totally lost my mind, if you don't know what a babushka is, it's basically a Russian doll. You know what I'm saying, what I'm on about? And within a Russian doll, there is another Russian doll. And within that other doll, there is another doll. And within that doll, there is another one. And then there is a, right at the bottom is a little, ickle, bickle, tiny one, right at the end. And the reason I think that the Bible is a lot like this, is that the Bible works at lots of different layers and levels of meaning and revelation. And some is obvious on the surface, but some is underneath the surface. Now, I don't mean that it's mysterious in a way that, unless you're intellectually brilliant or theologically trained, that you can't understand it. Because I believe that the Bible works like a pool that a child can paddle in and an elephant can drown in. It's got that much perspective and depth and breadth. But when we come to look at the Bible, we often just look at the surface meaning, which is important, without realising that there are whole loads of levels and layers. And I want to talk to you about the book of Jonah, because I believe the book of Jonah is a fantastic example of what I'm talking about. And I want to talk to you this morning as an introduction about the five levels and layers of meaning that are contained in the book of Jonah. You see, level one, layer one, is that Jonah is a story about a man called Jonah. John chapter 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. He was a real person in a real part of history. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14, Jesus mentions him, and God says, go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a real city. It was a city of about 120,000 people, which was a huge city in the ancient world. It was in Assyria, in our modern day Iraq. So it's a real man going on a boat with a storm to a real city, it's a sto- that's layer one, it's a story about a man, it's a story about a man, disobedience, Jonah, God said go and Jonah said no, but of course layer two is that it's also an allegory, in other words it's like a parable as Jesus would say, it's about us as well, it's about you and it's about me, we are like Jonah aren't we? How many of you know this is true, that God often asks us to go and we would prefer to say no. God asks us to face darkness, either externally or internally, but we would choose to run the opposite direction rather than face the darkness that's within us. We are the layer two. We're like that. But then there's another layer in which this Jonah series or this Jonah story or this Jonah book is also about who we are as the church. You see, that's who we are collectively There's a sense in which God calls the church to face darkness, and yet we would rather run the opposite direction than go into the darkness. And you could leave it there and think, wow, we've really. But but it's much deeper than that. Because actually, ultimately, what it's about is it's about the human heart. It's about the human heart. That's why we've called the series Journey of the Heart. You see, the heart of Jonah and the heart of me and the heart of the church is the issue, isn't it? When God's trying to get us to become the people that he wants us to be and to do the things he wants us to do, the problem that God faces, if I can say that, is always the human heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. It's often divided. It's often cold to the pain of others and unwilling to face the pain within ourselves. Let me give you some words on Lent. We as a church don't normally do Lent, but we're doing Lent this year and we think it's really important and I think that we'll probably do Lent more often, I'm sure, Because Lent is part of the Christian calendar, a 40 day period, leading up to the Resurrection Sunday on Easter Sunday. And traditionally it was part where the church would say, for this period as we're building up towards resurrection, we're going to look within, we're going to look at our heart, we're going to look at some of the darkness within us as human beings to prepare ourselves for the contrast of the light of the resurrection of Christ. And to help us do that, Dan's already highlighted it brilliantly in rather a cool way. Uh, the, uh, the calendar that we've given you. Now, if you're very competitive or very OCD-oriented, you're going to look at that and say, I will do all 40 things and I will tick them all off one at a time. That's not the purpose, okay? Like, reading the Bible isn't the purpose. Do you understand that? When you read the Bible, the purpose is not, have you read the Bible? The purpose is, has the Bible read you? Has it changed you? Has it transformed your heart? Not, have you gone through a a plan? Have you ticked off the readings? That's not the purpose. And there's some fantastic things in here which we want to encourage you, which will help you to engage with some of the darkness or some of the difficulty within your own heart. And so that's why that calendar is so important. But you know, ultimately, Jonah is not about Jonah. It's not really about me. It's not really about us. It's not really about the heart. Ultimately, it's about God. Not the smallest but sometimes the most hidden. You see, in the book of Jonah, the fish gets mentioned four times, the city gets mentioned nine times, Jonah gets mentioned 18 times, God gets mentioned 38 times. If you took God out the story of Jonah, it wouldn't make sense. And neither would yours. And neither would mine, would it? Because ultimately, ultimately, what it's all about is God and His glory transforming our heart, making us the people he wants us to be, you, me, Jonah. Now, we're going to look this morning at a couple of parts and components of this story and we're going to apply those five different layers and levels of meaning to these stories. But first, we need to deal with one of the smallest but most dangerous and difficult words in the English language, which is the word, but. You see, it looks in Jonah chapter 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh. But Jonah ran away. Then the Lord sends a storm. But Jonah went below deck. And then at the end of chapter 1, as the, as the sailors are crying out, where am I? It says, but the Lord provided a great fish. But Jonah, but Jonah, but God. And one of the problems that you and I have engaging with God is the problem of our butts. Isn't it? Our butts are too big. And they get in the way of what God wants to do. And here's the thing about big butts. You can see other people's butts big, but yours looks so small, doesn't it? But everybody else's has got this enormous butt that you can see. The problem is we just can't see the reality of our own butt, can we? And to help us engage with this, I want you to watch the screens. This is American, obviously using the butt thing. And I just think it's really clever and actually really quite profound as well. So take a look and let God speak to you through this uh, kind of media clip called Big Buck. Why don't you just get off your butts and stand with me and pray <laughs> this morning. Let's pray as we look at this great book together. Father, we thank you for this incredible word that you've given us, the Bible. And God, as we begin this, this look, this exploration, this excavation... Into the book of Jonah, Lord, I pray that there'll be no buts echoing from our lips; that it won't be, "Oh, but God, but, but 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 none of that." Lord, I pray that we'll be open. I pray, Lord, for open hands, for open hearts, for open minds, open spirits; that we would be open to you. And when you say go, we will go. When you say face, we will face. When you say change, we will change. By the power of the Spirit, through the power of your word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your seats. Okay. We look at Tarshish first. All right. Say it with me. Tarshish. Tarshish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's quite a difficult name to say. Tarshish. And um, at layer one, of course, level one, Tarshish was a place. I've already mentioned it to you. The narrator mentions it twice in verse three. So it's important. And it's a place. That is the opposite direction of where God asked him to go. Now Tarshish in the ancient world was in southern Spain. The interesting thing about Tarshish is that Tarshish was considered one of the most beautiful places on the planet. It's like the modern Hawaii. And so God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was this great city of darkness. And they did some wicked things in Nineveh. It was the symbolism of darkness and, and depravity and evil. And Jonah said, you know what, rather than go to Nineveh, I'm going to go to Hawaii. And he goes in the opposite direction. Now the interesting thing is, Jonah is trying to get away from God, but he goes to the place where the creation of God is at its most beautiful. What a Muppet. And yet we're often like that, aren't we? That we try and turn away and go away from God and realise that God is always wherever we run to. The Hebrew phrase for ran away from the Lord in Jonah chapter 1 literally means ran away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's worldview is that you can go to a place where God's presence is not and you can go to a place where God's presence is. Now that's a worldview that many people still have. That's not the truth. There is no way you can go. God's presence is in the darkness of Nineveh and in the beauty of Tarshish, isn't it? God is everywhere. But you see, if we start to look at layer 2 and look at us, we also head to Tarshish because we don't want to face the darkness of Nineveh. And you see, Nineveh is not always just an external geographical place. Nineveh is any place of darkness that God's asking us to face. That often can be the darkness within us. But rather than face the darkness within us, we would much rather turn around and head To the happy place of Tarshish. And that's really the layer and the level that this story is working at. We prefer pleasure over pain, don't we? Obviously. And so we contend to settle for surface pleasure over often ocean deep peace. So we run away. We settle for happiness rather than joy. You know, happiness is connected to what happens. So what happens... If it happens to be good, makes you feel happy. Jonah said, God, I don't want to face all that darkness. I want to be happy, so I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm going to head to the happy place. And we settle for happiness rather than engaging with ultimately what will lead us to joy. And I think at level three, this is also a lot like the church. The church that's called to face the darkness in our world often prefers to wrap itself up in its own closetness and kind of cloisteredness in a church building. And so in Matthew 17, when Jesus takes his disciples up to the top of the mountain, and he is transfigured. In other words, you see the humanity of Jesus fall away and you see the glory of God revealed. And then Moses and Elijah show up. What that's a great service that is, isn't it? You've got God's glory and Moses and Elijah. And Peter said, this is great. Let's stay here. Let's build booths around it. Let's build a structure around it. Let's just stay here in our happy place. And Jesus says, no, we're going to go down the mountain. And the first person they meet down the mountain is a young lad who's oppressed by the devil and they set him free. Because our goal is not to live in the glory. Our goal is to take the glory from where it is to where it isn't. The goal of the church is to take the light from where it is into the darkness where it isn't so that it can get in there. But often the church chooses to stay in our happy place rather than engage with the darkness that God calls us to engage in. But there's a problem with this story is that when you listen to it, you hear a lot of detail about what happens. You hear that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, uh, go, and Jonah said no. He runs away, he goes to a port, finds a boat, gets on the boat. There's a lot of detail, but what's missing is why, isn't it? It doesn't ever say why he ran away. So be like, I can illustrate, if I imagine Tim, if I say Tim here, Tim wakes up one morning and... Um, has a bacon sandwich cooked adoringly and lovingly by his beautiful wife, as was their way. And um, after the bacon sandwich, he c- cleans his teeth, which was a change, and um, <laughs> gets, gets ready and gets into his Vauxhall Astra and drives off to a new life and never comes back. It's not prophetic, all right? So, now, you, 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 if you hear that story, you hear the detail, but you'd surely be asking the question, why? Why did Tim run away? Why did Jonah run away? And that's where we need to get to level four. Because ultimately, what's happening in the life of Jonah is what happens in the life of me. What happens in the life of us is that we've got heart issues. So we've got heart issues. Why we run away, why we deceive, why we fail to engage, why we settle for happiness rather than engage in the darkness that God wants us to is usually, actually always, because of heart issues. The Bible says that our heart is... A little bit of a mystery at times, isn't it? And actually, the Apostle Paul, who was the greatest intellect, one of the greatest intellects who's ever lived, and certainly the greatest theologian who's ever lived, he understood all there was to understand about God, this side of heaven, as much as any man on earth, all right? And yet the Apostle Paul said this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Anyone identify with that? I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. Now he's not saying I don't understand it intellectually, because of course he understands it intellectually. He's saying I don't understand it experientially. Oh, Pierre, I get it, I want to honour God, I don't want to sin, I don't want to do that, I want to do that, but why do I mess up? I don't understand it. Intellectually he understands it, but in his heart, that's a whole different arena, isn't it? Why do I get angry when I don't want to get angry? Why do I get impatient when I don't want to get impatient? Why do I sin when I don't want to sin? Why do I fail when I don't want to... I I understand it here. The problem is here, isn't it? And ultimately, folks, God isn't after you. He's after your heart. Ultimately, what God wants more than anything in in Jonah was not for Jonah to go to Nineveh. That was a, a means to an end in one sense. What he ultimately wanted is he wanted Jonah's heart... To be one for God. He wanted Jonah's heart to be transformed. He wanted Jonah's heart to be changed. Because he knows that if the human heart gets changed, then everything gets changed. And we can be obedient to God on the outside, and yet our heart is a million miles away from God. Our heart is running to Tarshish, even if our legs aren't. And ultimately, this is all about God. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, you engage the darkness and you'll discover that I'm in the darkness. And you'll discover that my purpose is in the darkness. And you know, a torch that's switched on in the middle of the day has no effect. But in the middle of the night, wow. Because ultimately, Jonah, you'll experience me in ways you've never experienced me before if you'll engage with the darkness. So the question I've got for you this morning, folks, is what is your Tarshish? Because we all have them. Tarshish is a symbol... Of your escape from darkness, whether it's around you or more often than not within you. Where do you run to try to escape facing the darkness? Where do you run? Where do you turn and run to rather than facing the darkness within you? And darkness isn't always evil, it's just hidden. It's just hidden. So is it drugs? Is it porn? Is it sex? Is it food? Is it alcohol? Is it chocolate? Is it shopping? Is it chocolate? Is it relationships? Is it chocolate? Is it religion? Is it music? Is it work? Is it travelling? Is it sport? Is it it entertainment? Is it even exercise? Because anything we do that is an escape from facing the darkness within us is a Tarshish. Even if it's a really good thing. Some of those things I mentioned on that list weren't good things. Some of them were. Exercise is a good thing. But if exercise is our means of escape, rather than facing the darkness within us, then it's a Tarshish. Then it's a Tarshish. And you see, our Tarshish is anything we use to escape from reality rather than face it. And, and it was one year away by boat, and it cost a lot of money to get there, and Jonah would have paid the money. And so do we, don't we? Listen, money is no object for your Tarshish. You realise that? God touches you and asks you to give and it's a big challenge. Your Tarshish calls and money is no object. We will pay all kinds of money to pay for our Tarshish. Because we think that that is what's going to make us happy. But you know, Tarshish is a lie. It's a release. It's a distraction. It's the satisfaction of escape. But it's only temporary and it's only fleeting. You see, if the issue is your heart, the problem is this. Wherever you go, there your heart goes also, isn't it? So Jonah thinks, I'll get away from the darkness and I'll go to Hawaii, my Tarshish. But he doesn't understand that the darkness God really wanted him to get to is in his own heart. So the darkness goes with him to Hawaii. And for a while, he doesn't think about it. But eventually, what happens, you see, is your tarshish isn't enough. Your exercise isn't enough. The food isn't enough. The gadgets aren't enough. The shopping's not enough. The holidays aren't enough. the Whatever it is, the sex isn't enough. The porn isn't enough. It's not enough because it's not really meant to do what you think it's meaning to do. Do you understand? And one of the reasons that so many of us as believers, as well as those who unbelievers, are in debt, is because we can't get to grips with our tarshish. I realise some people, a lot of people are in debt through no circumstances of their own and that's tragic and of course that's true. But a lot of us are in debt because we can't get to grips with the issues of our heart. And so we'd rather spend than face it. And it's an escape. So what's your Tarshish? But then on the other side, what is your Nineveh? What is the symbol of darkness that God wants you to face and enter and not run away from? Maybe external, but it's more likely to be internal within you. I want to encourage you over this 40 days, this season of Lent, to name it before God. don't Don't rush to fix it. Don't rush to try and do all that. Just name it. Say, God, this is the darkness within me. And I want to name it. And I want to bring it to you that it could be transformed by the power of the cross of Christ. What's your Nineveh? Jonah doesn't want to face the darkness in Nineveh, so he runs. But really, he's running from the darkness within his heart. Because wherever you go, guess what goes with you? Your heart. So that's the places, Tarshish and Nineveh. But what about the sailors? I want to talk a little bit about the sailors. The surface layer level meaning is really obvious. Jonah was the man of God. The sailors were the unbelievers. But here's the interesting thing. The sailors cry out to their gods, Jonah goes to sleep. The sailors try to save Jonah, the man of God, but they end up worshipping the God of Jonah. The world is not working as it should be. How many of you know that's true? The world is not working as it should be. Let me try and illustrate it visually for you. I want you to imagine that this, is, this, is, this represents the, the sailors, the unbelieving sailors. This represents the believing man, Jonah, who's the prophet of God. So, unbelievers believer. But they're the ones that pray and talk about God. He's the one that goes to sleep and suggests suicide is an option. They're the ones that worship and sacrifice. He's the one that stays silent. They're the ones who are are aware of God in the middle of the storm. He's the one who is unaware of God and is full of despair. They end up believers. I want to suggest to you, he ends up as someone who says he's a believer but lives as if God doesn't exist. She's challenging this morning, isn't it? Says he's a believer, but he lives as if God doesn't exist. These guys say they're unbelievers, but engage the living God, pray, end up worshipping the living God, giving their lives to God, whereas the believing man of God ends up in despair in the depths of the ocean. The world is not working as it should be. But then you know that, and many of you know that, if your parents... Because you see, see there's this myth around that if as a parent you do all the right things and you do X, Y and Z, then it'll all work out well for you and your kids. But how many of you know as parents that's not always the case, is it? Because sometimes the world does not work out as it always should do. And so you can do all the right things and it goes different. And that's really difficult. If you're married, you know that that's the same in marriage. If you're a leader, you know that's the same in leadership. You can do all the right things and yet people will choose to do something completely different. Because the world is not as it should be. Here's another thing that I wanted to totally throw your theology or your thinking a little bit. Isn't this amazing that God says to Jonah, Go to Nineveh where these ungodly people, you're going to preach the gospel and they're all going to get saved, they're all going to become Christians, they are always they all come to God. Jonah says, nah, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to run away. So he runs away, and as he runs away, the ungodly, unbelieving sailors all get converted. Do you not think that's strange? You see, sometimes God will even use your disobedience for his purposes. Because ultimately, you see, how about the sailors, me, the church, heart, it's about God. Sometimes see, God will even work in spite of us as well as through us. Isn't that amazing? That doesn't make me want to be more disobedient to God. It just makes me, it takes the pressure off a little bit. And I remind myself that actually the real work's God's work anyway. He just wants me to be available and surrendered and to deal with the issues of my heart. And even if I don't, God will still sometimes work his purposes through my disobedience rather than my obedience. That's just amazing to me. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how the sailor is an allegory of us. How is it that, no, no, not, not Sailor, but, but but Jonah rather. How, how is Jonah an allegory of us in the context of this connection with the sailors? So, so what's happened to Jonah, what's happened to Jonah that takes him from being a man of God, who hears the voice of God, a believer, to almost an unbeliever? What is it that takes someone who, Says they're a believer, but lives like God doesn't exist. What happens? Because that doesn't happen overnight. There's a whole load of things that happen. Number one, we lose our godly wisdom. We lose our godly wisdom. Chapter one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Preach against it. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. Of course he did. You see, and he comes down to the port and he says, I've got to get away from God. You saw it on the, on the cartoon. I've got to get away from God. I'm going to go to Tarshish. So I need a boat that's going to Tarshish. God, if there was a boat going for Tarshish there, that would be a sign that this is right. And guess what? There's a boat. See, what he didn't realize and what we don't realize is that if that boat hadn't been there, just around the cliff, the devil would have had a whole fleet of boats. Because there'll always be a vessel to take you further away from where God wants you to be if you choose to run that way. Do you know that? And so I'm absolutely staggered at how many people I've sat with who said, this has happened in my life, and this must be right. This is the course of action I'm going to take, and this must be right. This is almost like a confirmation. And I want to say, deception. Deception. You will always find something to confirm you in your disobedience. We always do. Oh, but Pastor, you don't understand. I met this woman and she makes me feel so great. And my wife doesn't do that now. And this must be right because we pray together and we talk together and everything's fantastic. And it must be that God wants me to leave my wife and be with her. Deception. That's what that's called. We lose our godly wisdom. And when we lose our godly wisdom, we soon lose the sense of God's voice. Chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Verse 1. Verse 4, God's still speaking, but Jonah's not listening. So then, then God says, I ain't getting through, am I? Probably didn't say it quite like that. He said, I'm not getting through. So he sent a storm. Because we lose the sense of God's voice. And then, do you know what? In the storm, when Jonah's asleep, oh, God is so gracious. He sent him a captain. Sent him a captain. Look, look at this. In, in, um, in verse, verse 6, Jonah gone below deck. He lay down, fended to do sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Good question. God sent the captain, I believe, into his life to ask him a great question. How can you sleep while this is all going on? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us. That's the voice of wisdom, isn't it? That's the voice of godly wisdom. But Jonah won't listen. We love, in our modern Christianity, the words like accountability and openness. We just don't understand what they mean. So we say, well, I was really open because I told you what I'd done. That's not openness. That's not accountability at all. But to have people in your life that love you enough to knock on your door and say, what are you doing? You should be doing this is a brilliant gift of God, isn't it? But it's no good having them if you're only going to use them after the fact. Because that's not accountability. That is not openness. That is deception. And what's happening to Jonah is he's going from losing godly wisdom, losing the sense of God's voice, then losing his spiritual energy. All he can do is fall asleep. While the other guys are crying out and praying out to God in the storm, all he can do is fall fast asleep. And we say we could never do that. Of course we could. Ephesians 4 says, having lost all sensitivity, they did all kinds of stuff. And then we lose our power in prayer. And ultimately we lose our testimony, which is so sad and so tragic. You know, you don't lose your testimony when you fail and when you mess up. You know that, don't you? And you know, at work, how many of you at work feel sometimes you're under pressure, that people are watching you because you're a Christian? Happens to me here all the time. Honestly, it's terrible. But I know that's true for you. And sometimes you feel that and you mess up and you, and you, and you, 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 you blow your stack and, and all that. And you think, oh, I've lost my testimony. You do not lose your testimony when you fail. You lose your testimony when you fail to address the issues of your heart. And when you continue in deception, and when you continue going away from God, you ultimately lose your testimony. That's what happened to Jonah. And here's these ungodly men, brought into his disobedience. And they're, up, they're all about to die because of this one man. And he's lost his testimony. But you know, there's another layer of meaning. That there's, there's an aspect of this story of Jonah being asleep, which is a little bit like the church. You see, I often think, when I, when I read this passage of Scripture, that isn't that so much like the church? That while the storm's going on and the world's going on and ungodly people are crying out for help and hope and some kind of thing, we are asleep. We're asleep. We're asleep. Back in the 70s, there was a, a man called Keith Green. Many of you will have heard of him. He was in, into drugs and he was into free sex and all that stuff in California. And he, he was a musician, very, very good musician. And he was gloriously converted and became not only a Christian singer-songwriter, but a prophet. And when I became a Christian at the age of 15 and a half and got involved in, in music and all that kind of stuff, you know, he was one of my heroes. I used to listen to all of his LPs. That's round that big, plastic. Okay, I used to listen to all of them. And cassettes, Betamax videos, remember that? I'll stop there. And really was inspired by this man, not by his music, but by his prophetic voice. And he wrote a song based on this story about the church. And he was quite direct. I know I've been quite direct this morning. This is very direct. Okay, These are some of the lyrics of this song that he wrote called Asleep in the Light. Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb? Not to care if they clumb? You close your eyes. And pretend the job's done. Oh bless me Lord, bless me Lord. You know it's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds and he cares for your needs. You just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh can't you see, it's such a sin. Then he gets a bit more direct. God's calling and you're the one. But like Jonah you run, he's told you to speak but you keep holding it in. Oh can't you see, it's such a sin. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when we've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. I remember as an 18, 19-year-old listening to that and just God just like breaking my heart and saying, God, I do not want to give my life to a community of people that is asleep in the light. I don't want to be asleep in the light. I don't want to lose my testimony. I want to care if people are drowning, don't you? I want to care if people are in darkness. I want to care if people are going to a lost eternity. I do not want to be part of a community that is asleep in the light. And we, the church in this country and this church and all of us, we need an awakening. We need an awakening. We need a captain to come and knock on our door and wake us up. And say, How can you sleep? You should be crying out to God. You should be engaging in the darkness. You should be rescuing people who are far from God. We need an awakening. And so did Jonah. And so did Jonah. So, we're coming to the end. And ultimately, what Jonah is beginning to experience is that God is at the center of his story. And it was God that sent the storm. Do you know that? And it was God that prepared the fish. And we're going to look at that next week. And I was working on next week, last night, because I just got so excited as I finished preparing tonight that I got into next week's as well. And it is awesome. Look at the layers of men. It is incredible. And God did all that because he loves us. Do you know that? And when we engage with the darkness, when we engage with the darkness in sorrows, when we stop being deceived, and stop pretending that we're open and accountable. And when we really engage with the darkness within us, we will find God. We'll find God. And we will find God's grace. Because this is really a story about God's grace. Do you know that? Not just God's grace for Nineveh, but God's grace for Jonah and God's grace for For every single one of us. You see, God's presence is everywhere. You knew that, right? Darkest Nineveh, happy place. Tarshish, God's presence is there. In the storm or in the depths of the sea, God is everywhere. In the workplace or in the home. On the sports field or in your own heart. God's presence is everywhere. So, as we finish, stop running away. Stop running away. And face the darkness that God is asking you to face. And when we enter in, we will experience God and God's grace and God's truth. And do you know what the Bible says? The truth will set you free. I add on, whatever it is. Whatever it is, the truth will set you free. Can we pray? Father, we... These are challenging words this morning. And God, your word is so rich. And Lord, at every level, it just works. It's just amazing. And God, if we have eyes to see, if we have ears to hear, if we have hearts that are open, then God, your word can transform us. And God, I pray that there would be people here this morning that, that would let your spirit just convict us. I know that I, have, I need so much to put this into practice in my own life. I know I have Tarshish places. I know I have Nineveh's that you're calling me to face. And I'd much rather run to Tarshish than face the Nineveh. But God, I also know that when I have done that, God, I've experienced your grace in amazing ways. And Lord, I don't want to settle for cheap happiness when I could have deep joy. I don't want to settle for fleeting experiences that satisfy my flesh when I could have a relationship with a God that feeds and sustains my soul. And God, so that if I face a storm, a literal one or a metaphorical one or whatever, I can cry out with a hymn writer, it is well with my soul. Because I faced the darkness and found you. In that place. And so, Lord, I pray that as we just engage with you for these last few moments, God, I pray that we would enter into an awareness of your presence, that we would begin to verbalize those issues of darkness, that we begin to speak them out, Lord, that we begin to say, Lord, this is my Nineveh, this is my Tarshish, and I bring it to you. I bring it to you right now at the start of this series, at the start of Lent. yeah yeah, I can give chocolate up I can stop using sarcasm I can not tweet a bit who cares God ultimately I want to deal with the darkness in my heart and I want to surrender my life to you and I want to receive your grace and your truth and your mercy and Lord I open up myself to you in Jesus name if you want to do that with me if you want to say to God that's what I want to do I want to open myself up to you over these next 40 days, then why don't you stand with me this morning? If you don't, that's fine. If you want to do that, just stand with me. We're going to sing a song. I don't want it to be like, oh, we're singing a song. This is the end song, blah, blah, blah. This is a song of engagement with God, not just the end of a meeting. All right? This is a song that said, here in your presence is where I'm undone. But here in your presence is ultimately where I want to be. And your presence isn't as we sing a song. You know that, don't you? The presence of God is wherever we are, where we'll engage with that. So we'll sing it now, but we need to live it out when we leave this building. So just open yourself up to God this morning and just invite him in. And if you are a Jonah and there's a level in which we all are and you've been running from God, then I want to say to you, God loves you. God sent the storm and God sent the fish not to get even. He's got even at the cross. God sent the storm and the fish to get back to Jonah because he loved him. God sent the storm and the fish because he loves him so much that he wants him back home. God didn't send the storm and the, and the fish to smack your bottom. God sent the storm and the fish to woo you and to love you and to bring you back to himself. God loves you. If you're running away, don't run away. Turn around. Run towards God this morning. Amen run towards God this morning enter in and if you don't know God this morning if you don't know God and you've never given your life to God you say I'm an unbeliever you can become a believer today you can give your life to God those unbelieving sailors in the middle of the storm cried out and God heard their prayer instantly and they were saved you can do that this morning as well We'd love to talk to you about that. If anybody wants to talk to us, come and talk to us afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about that. As we sing this song, I want to encourage you, open. Open your arms. Open your hands. Open your heart. Open your eyes. Let's welcome the presence of God into our hearts and into our lives. In Jesus' name.